that, Lord, people who care nothing for You give not a thought in all their daily lives will at least stop and think about You this time of year. Lord, we ask that You would help us to be mindful of Your goodness and Your grace every day of the year. But especially during this service tonight, give us a time of giving thanks to our Father, the only God, the only truth, Jesus Christ, our Savior. It's in His name we pray. Amen. By 20 says, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Colossians 1.12 says, giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Colossians 3.17, Whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Hebrews 13.15, By Him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. I'd like to remind you, that each one of these verses are not dependent upon things that are happening in our lives. Uh, the ones that do mention things to be thankful for say all things, e- everything, whatsoever ye do, to offer the sacrifice of praise continually, and that sacrifice of praise is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name. I just want us to, as we start tonight, be reminded that giving thanks is really and honestly understanding who God is. You see, there is no circumstance in your life that you cannot be thankful for, except for when we sin against God, that you cannot be thankful for that. But any circumstance that comes into your life, problems that come into your life, things that do not go the way that you want them to, uh, the Bible says that we are to give thanks in everything, in all things. And everything we do. Because you need to be reminded. I almost, as Brother Franz was saying, what are you thankful for? I wanted to just shout out part of my introduction to my sermon, but I did not. Giving thanks for His mercy endureth forever. Amen. I was reminded of those verses as um, Brother Newberger and I were... Uh, just waiting on uh, entering the Department of Buildings last Friday morning. I got a text from my mother-in-law. She sends me Bible verses every day. And just as we were getting ready uh, to go into the building department, it was, Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for His mercy endureth forever. And I looked over at Brother Newberger and I said, It worked for Hezekiah when he went into battle. Let's pray it works for us today. And, and the Lord did give us that blessing uh, but now, uh, we've got to follow through on this thing. We, we have to get an inspector in there next week, so I want you to pray about that. We should know something Monday morning. 
and, and uh, just want you to, to keep those things in prayer. But uh, we need to understand that thankfulness is a command. Uh, it is something that needs to be worked on. It is something that needs to be nurtured. If you've ever met someone or had dealings with someone who is practiced in the art of thankfulness, it's a joy to be around them. They, they are just pleasant to be around. If you meet someone who is exercised well in the art of getting things done, it's, I don't care, keep moving, keep moving. One more step, let's go, let's keep this, you know. And, and that works in certain illustrations, but when you're serving God, that's not just for today. That's not just for the situation at hand. Uh, that may work great with a platoon of soldiers as you're trying to take an objective. Uh, it might work good in a, in, a, in a staff meeting, in a company, to uh, impress this client or, or solve this one problem. But in the daily things, the Bible tells us not to be weary in well-doing. You know how you not be weary in well-doing? Exercising thankfulness because it keeps our focus off me and on the Lord Jesus Christ. Can we say amen to that? That's what thankfulness really does. It's, I, I want to give you a different definition. You won't find this one in a dictionary. I looked up just to make sure. No, uh, I knew you wouldn't. The, the biblical definition of thankfulness is recognizing who God is. You notice I didn't say what He's done or how He's done it or how he, it's recognizing who God is. That's why I can be thankful at any time because God is. And He is the rewarder of them that diligently seek Him. That's faith. Amen? Now, in our time tonight in the Word of God, what I'd like for us to do is I just want to ask the question, what did Jesus give thanks for? During His public ministry, His life as recorded in the Gospels, uh, there are not as many things as you would think. Of course, Jesus was thankful to God for many things but and everything. And as God, He, he could not uh, do anything less. But in the text of our Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, our Gospels, there's four basic instances where everything stopped and Jesus gave thanks. And I think it might be a good study. In fact, I sure enjoyed it. Uh, as looking at those things when Jesus stopped everything he was doing and gave thanks. Because he wasn't doing that for his benefit. He was doing that for our benefit. As he was giving an example. As he was... How, how could Jesus be any less thankful than God? Because He is God. Amen? 
And so we need to understand that when our text in our Bible stops and says Jesus gave thanks for something, uh, that was and that is for our benefit so that there's something we can learn. Now, the first one is a little strange. I want you to turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 25, Matthew chapter 11. And this is the first time in the gospel account that this word is used. Verse 25. It says, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, O Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hast revealed them unto Two babes. Now, do you get that? Jesus is taking a time. Sorry, this is popping here. To publicly give thanks to the Father because he hid wisdom and knowledge from the wise and prudent and he revealed it to the babes. Now, we need to put this passage in context to get the bigger picture. And so, I want you just to back up a few verses here. And we uh, look at verse 20. Then began he to upbraid the cities wherein most of his mighty works were done because they repented not. And it goes through the names of the cities and Jesus pronounces judgment upon them. He says it would be better than Tyre and Sidon. When he gets done, he says, verse 24, But I say unto thee, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for thee. Now, this is not some preacher trying to wax eloquent. This is the Lord Jesus Christ pronouncing doom upon the city of Capernaum, the main headquarters in Nazareth for his ministry. He said, because you saw all the mighty works that I did and you did not repent, he said, on judgment day, Sodom is going to be behind you in line. To get God's judgment. Now, Jesus is the one that's going to be handing it out. That's, that's a pretty incredible statement, is it not? And this is the context. And Jesus is going, I thank you, Father, that you've hidden it from the wise and the prudent. And you've revealed these things unto the babe. So now, I think what we have here is a definition of the wise and the prudent. Now, let's look at the definition of the babes here and see if we can find something that will help us. In verse 26, he says, Even so, Father, for it seemed good in thy sight. Verse 27, and we'll read right to the end of the chapter. All things are delivered unto me of my Father, and no man knoweth the Son but the Father, neither knoweth any man the Father save the Son, and he to whomsoever the Son will reveal him. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Isn't it amazing 
that Jesus extended the call to these very same people in these cities that he had condemned. He said, you can either be a part of what's going on in those cities in rejecting me, or you can leave those cities and its system and its religion, and you can come unto me. You see, what Jesus was doing here was he was calling whosoever will. But when you come to Jesus, here's what makes it so tough. And and this is why the Calvinist has such a problem with whosoever will. Is because if you hold on to anything when you come to Jesus, you're not getting to Jesus. If you hold on to your religion, if you hold on to your own righteousness. But, but preacher, you don't understand how long I've labored and all the things that I've done to maintain my ways before God and, and to do the things that God said in the Bible. It does say good do work, to do good works, doesn't it? Well, the Bible says we're to do good works, but not to earn God's favor, but because we already have it. There's a big difference there between those two. And Jesus here is shutting the door on human reasoning. We talk about faith. And the world often laughs and accuses us of being ignorant and blind and childish and not looking at what's really going on when, let me tell you something, Jesus just rebuked all those people that knew what was going on. He rebuked all those people that claimed to have great understanding of the Bible. I'll tell you this, and I often like to use this example, a man named Robert Dick Wilson, one of the greatest professors that ever taught at Princeton College and one of the most educated men in the history of our country, the United States. And that's saying a little bit. And someone asked him nearing the end of a 45-year period in his life, where he had studied every ancient language the Old Testament had been translated into. He spent the next 15 years reading the Bible and books and commentaries in all those languages he learned the first 15 years. And the last 15 of those 45 years, he spent writing books about what he had studied during the first 30 years. And someone said, Mr. Wilson, with all of your study and all of your knowledge, what is the greatest truth that you have discovered? Some of you know this. Here is his answer. And I quote, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. I'd like you to know that that man had an education. But so many people spend so much effort trying to explain and understand God. And Jesus took time to say, thank you, God. That it's not man's understanding. But it's that simple, childlike faith that makes contact with the almighty power of God. I mean, how many times have we faced things? How many times I could... I don't want to give you the times where I've just said, Lord, I don't know. 
how to handle this situation. I just don't know what you want me to do. And the answer has always been the same. You just keep being faithful where you're at. And I'll show you. You know what? We didn't call Bill up and ask him for the building. He called us up and said, help! And I feel a little bit like Moses at the Red Sea. How many of you remember that story? Where Moses tells the children of Israel, hold your peace! And then the next verse, God's saying to Moses, why are you crying to me? You know, Moses was telling children, you're going to see God work now. Be quiet. Shut up. And then he's going to God. God, what in the world are you going to do? God says, just stick out the rod. And he did. And the Red Sea parted. Let Let me tell you something. Jesus took time to give thanks. And he ended that call with, come and learn of me. You know, the one thing about little children used to be, not always today, is they're they're usually willing to learn. Especially if there's some kind of treat involved at the end of it, right? I mean, doesn't that help? Do you think that's why Jesus told us about heaven? He says, you're going to be with me forever. He says, you need to understand something. There is a treat at the end of this thing. But what you need to do is you need to come and learn of me. How many of you have ever seen a yoke? I mean, this is not new for for our people that are here all the time. Anytime you go into an old farm or any of that, uh, those farm museums, ask to see a yoke, and they'll show you. An oxen yoke is something amazing to see. Normally, um, it is made of iron and heavy wood. I've seen some of them. There, The wood is this thick that goes over the shoulder of the oxen. You know why it's so heavy? is because if you're not careful, the oxen would break that yoke and injure themselves and anything around. They've got to make it stronger than the ox are. The oxen are. And yet, they literally lock those animals in together. It is said that if you do not put uh, animals that have been trained to pull together as a team into a yoke, that they will pull against each other until one of them either breaks a leg or dies or is no longer able to pull against the other. Jesus said, I want you to take my yoke. And if we'll stop and we'll think, how many times have you pulled against the Savior this year? But you know what? He just keeps going in the right direction. That, that's why we need a yoke. Amen. And Jesus said, I'm thankful for the people who aren't trying to figure me out, but just as a little child will trust me. That's something to be thankful for, is it not? That's what Jesus said, I am thankful for. And so when we pray, don't ever pray giving God instructions. He doesn't need them. He already knows what's best. When we pray, we need to ask God 
for instruction. And then we'll have something to be thankful for when he gives it. Amen? This is the first instance where Jesus stops and gives thanks. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 15. In fact, why don't we just flip down to John chapter 6. Same story, parallel passage here. John chapter 6. And I, I love the details that John puts into this story. And it says in verse 5, When Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. So Jesus already knew what was going on. He knew the end before the beginning. But he turns to Philip. Apparently Philip was the... Uh, statistician or the procurement chief or the CEO. Well, actually, um, uh, not CEO, I'm sorry. Uh, Judas was the uh, financial keeper, but he turned to Philip. Philip was the guy that actually did something. He said, okay, Philip, where are we going to buy food for all these people? Now, Philip's answer uh, may seem a little strange to us. Uh, he, He says... Uh, 200 penny worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may take a little. And you say, well, that's 200 pennies, $2. Uh, that, that wouldn't buy a lot of bread, but let's put it in perspective. A penny in this thing was a day's wages. 200 days wages, uh, in, in our modern equivalent, that would be 10 months salary. Could you feed 10,000 people for 10 months' salary? Well, it depends on where you were feeding them and what your salary was. Uh, you wouldn't do it on minimum wage, I'll tell you that. Um, but you start figuring this out. Philip was not offering $2. He was offering 10 months' wages. I mean, this was a, a serious amount of income, and he said, it's not even going to get started. And then they find a little boy with a lunch. Five loaves and two small fishes. Now, when we think of five loaves, we think of a loaf of bread. Now, these were barley loaves. These would be more like soda crackers. So, five saltines and two sardines. Uh... That would barely be a good snack for most of us, would you not say? Uh, uh, somebody says, I hate sardines. But anyway, that's uh, neither here nor there. That's what he had. And the Bible tells us Jesus took that little boy's lunch and stopped and gave thanks to God. Now, why did he do that? He didn't have enough to get anything done. He didn't even have enough to feed him. A little boy's lunch would not take care of one man, let alone 5,000 men. But I like what one person pointed out. The little boy gave it all. You know, when you give it all, God stops. 
That's how you got saved. That's what he was talking about in the first one. Amen. If you want to see God work in your life, you've you got to give it all. But Jesus also gave thanks because he knew that this little bit of all was going to be more than enough to solve all the problems. To feed all of those people. And they're going to have 12 baskets left over. And, and there's been all kinds of thoughts on those. what happened to the 12 baskets. In fact, where did the 12 baskets even come from? Uh, and uh, uh, how did the, what happened to all of this bounty? I, I would like to think that 12 baskets followed the little boy home. I mean, that, that's my favorite of all of them. There's a knock at the door. And a little boy slips in and says, Mom, Mom, you're not going to believe this. And all of a sudden they start setting down basket after. What is this? He said, Mom, it's the leftovers from my lunch. I mean, I'm sorry. That's just a little imagination there. We don't know what happened. We do know this. It said that nothing was lost. Jesus was not a waster. So, what, what do we learn here? Well, if you want God to do a miracle, guess what? It involves thankfulness. You know, the Bible tells us in the book of Psalms and different places, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. You see, normally we give thanks when somebody or some or God blesses us. Here we have Jesus giving thanks because the little boy blessed him. You want to see God do some miracles? Bless God. And he'll do miracles. You give it all. And he does what needs to be done. God takes impossible situations. But also God did something here. I want you to skip down to verse 14 with me if you would. Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said this of a truth. This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. I mean, they saw this miracle that Jesus did and they're saying, He is the Messiah. He, he is the one that's coming. This is the answer to all our prayers. Now, you read the rest of John chapter 6 and, and it makes some problems for people. You know, when God does a miracle like this, it reveals hearts, does it not? And Jesus told these same men the next day, don't labor for that which perishes. Labor for that which is eternal. And he told them that, uh, verse 36, But I said unto you that ye also have seen me, and believe not. He said, you've seen me, but you don't believe me. And he goes on, and the rest of the chapter, we don't have time to go through the whole thing tonight, but one of the most confused chapters in all of the Bible, one of the most misunderstood, taken out of context, 
uh, just drives me crazy sometimes what people will do with the Bible. What Jesus was doing here is in verse 50, he says, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews, the religious Jewish people there, their leaders, therefore strove among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? And then Jesus turns it up another notch. And Jesus said in them, verse 53, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. Verse 60, many therefore his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Verse 66, from that time many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. People misunderstood what Jesus was saying. Even to this day, do they not? Read verse 63 and Jesus makes it very clear what he's talking about. He said, It is the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Jesus wasn't talking about physically eating his flesh and drinking his blood. That would be shed on the cross. And we'll get to that for the the last thing he was thankful for in just a few moments. But Jesus used this miracle, this time that he was thankful for this boy giving all to confound the hearts of those people that had already rejected him and refused him. People who were concerned with the physical things and ignored the spiritual. You know, the Bible's exactly the opposite. You get concerned with the spiritual things and the physical things take care of themselves now, don't they? If you're right with God, who does it matter that you're wrong with? Do you get it? Now, that doesn't mean that I go out and offend this person over here and say, I'm right. you can't be right with God when you've done something cruel to another person. But once you got right with God, Paul put it this way, If God be for us, who can be against us? And yet, every day, someone says, What are we going to do as Christians? We're losing our influence in the world and nobody listens to God anymore. Are they taking Christ out of Christmas? Let me tell you something. Jesus wasn't born on Christmas. You know that. It's, It's, you're not more holy. Because you say, happy birthday, Jesus. You're supposed to believe in him each and every day. You're supposed to understand that is the work of the Holy Spirit that makes his death on the cross and his shed blood pay the price for my sins. It's not some physical thing that I engage in. It's not some ceremony we do at church. 
It is a living relationship with Christ. He prayed and he said, I thank you that you've withheld it from the wise and the prudent. And you revealed it to the little babes. And here he says, I want to thank a little boy for giving me his lunch so that I could take it and feed all of these people. And not only feed these people, but reveal their hearts that those who believe in me would know that I am the truth, the way, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And all of these others that are still trying to figure me out are just going to be taken another step farther removed to the point to where they no longer even follow Jesus and listen to him. Let's go to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. If you know your Bible, this is the death of Lazarus. He'd been in the grave for four days. He had just talked with Martha, then talked with Mary, then talked with Martha again and said, roll the stone away from the door. And she said, Lord, we don't want to do that. He's been in the grave for four days and 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 it is it's going to be bad it's going to smell when we roll that stone away in verse 41 he ends by saying if thou wouldest uh, said i not unto thee that if thou wouldest believe thou shouldest see the glory of god verse 41 then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid i want to tell you something It stank when they rolled the stone away, just like Martha said, because he'd been dead for four days. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and says, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people which stand by and said it, Stand by, I said it, that they might believe that thou hast sent me. You see, this is where I got the idea for the message, was Jesus stopped at Lazarus' tomb and he said, God, I thank you for hearing my prayer, but I know you hear my prayer because I am God. How could God not hear Jesus pray? How could Jesus pray for anything that God did not want to do? He said, but I'm doing this. I'm saying thank you because I want them to know that you are the one that we worship. And what does it say? Many of the Jews stopped following the Jews and believed on Jesus, didn't they? But there were some that went their way. And they had counsel, verse 45, I think it is. Let me check my notes here. Uh, Verse 53, then from that day forth, they took counsel together for to put him to death. You see, when Jesus gave thanks at Lazarus' tomb, those that would believe were totally convinced. And those that would not believe prepared themselves to fulfill the terrible will of God in the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. This is where it all began. Right here. You see, Jesus gave thanks 
because God's will was being done. Then we get to the last one. And let's go to Luke chapter 22. This is what we call the Lord's Supper. Some people call it communion. In verse 17, he says, And he took the cup and gave thanks, and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. Verse 19, And he took, the, he took bread and gave thanks and brake it and said unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do... In remembrance of me, likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Now, what Jesus did was he gave thanks for the bread and he gave thanks for the cup. This was Jewish Passover. Unleavened bread, just pure flour and water, no other ingredients. And unleavened wine, just pure grape juice. No alcohol, no fermentation, no other ingredients. He said, this do in remembrance of me. And this goes back to John chapter 6 where we've already spent some time tonight. And Jesus was explaining very carefully that there was no mystical, sacramental, power in these elements. The power was in the Lord Jesus Christ. And as he gave thanks for those things, in just a a few moments he would be kneeling in the Garden of Gethsemane asking if it was all possible for God's will that the cup would pass from him. Not the same cup, my friend. The cup in the garden was the cup of the wrath and indignation of Almighty God. Jesus did not shrink from it, but he wanted you and I to understand how repulsive and terrible it would be for him as the spotless Lamb of God to take the wrath and judgment of Almighty God for all sin. If you don't let Jesus drink that cup for you, you will spend an eternity in hell tasting of its dregs. Jesus accomplished in one day on the cross what would take every living soul in all of human history an eternity in hell to accomplish. That's why hell is non-topical for those that believe. You don't go there without rejecting The finished work of Jesus on the cross. Jesus was thankful that these elements would be partaken of down through the ages by churches. Not to recreate the crucifixion of Jesus, but to give testimony to the three greatest words in the English language that Jesus spoke. One in the Hebrews, say it with me. It is finished. 
That's why Jesus was being thankful for these things. Because he had not yet finished the work, but the next time that the disciples would celebrate this supper that he had prepared for them, this ordinance, the work would be done once and forever. It says he's entered in once into the heavenly places to obtain an eternal redemption for us. It says, nor that he should offer himself often, but now once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Hebrews 10.13 says, from henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. That hasn't happened yet. That will happen at the great white throne judgment seat at the end of the millennial kingdom where roughly a thousand years, a thousand and seven years from that time. We don't know when it's going to start. Somebody said, the end of the world is May, whatever it was. Mr. Camping, he's been wrong. I don't know anything he's right about. Uh, was right about. It's, it's a terrible thought to think that he has finally crossed over and he's on the side of eternity from which you cannot come back. Because if he believed what he taught on his radio, have no hope of seeing him in heaven. None at all. He did not believe the word of, the, of God, though he quoted it all the time. But it was always out of a Calvinistic textbook, not the Bible. The tragedy of claiming that God is merciful, but he doesn't tell you you can know you're saved. When the Bible says, these things have been written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. How do you get past that verse? I'll tell you how you get past that verse. Go right back to the first time Jesus was thankful, and you try to explain him with human reasoning. You go back to the feast of the 4,000 and before that the feast of the 5,000 with just a few small fish and a few small loaves of bread. Jesus said, I'm the living bread. He says, you've got to partake of me. But it's not a physical thing, my friend. It's spiritual. And it's life. Amen? And then... He was thankful that God always heard his prayers because he wanted us to understand that life comes from Jesus Christ. As Jesus gave thanks, those babes, the disciples, began to understand that he is God. Amen? As he gave thanks, that little boy's lunch was multiplied to feed thousands. As he gave thanks at Lazarus' tomb, that body that had been decaying in the tomb for four days was prepared to come forth at Jesus' command. And as Jesus gave thanks that night before he was betrayed and went to the cross to pay the price for our sins, in the mind of God, it was already finished. But he had to endure the shame 
He had to endure the cross. The Bible tells us despising the shame. He had to fulfill every word that happened. He had to drink every drop in that cup. All that's left are the dregs. That's what the book of Revelation is about. Where two-thirds to three-quarters of the world's population are going to die in less than seven years. And ending with the battle of Armageddon where the blood is going to flow five feet deep, 120 miles up the Jordan Valley. You, you, our human mind cannot even comprehend that kind of carnage. But Jesus was thankful for all of those who would believe in him without some intervention, without some go-between. That's why Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. You know, Mr. Marx, though I am no fan of Karl Marx at all, he was right about the way religion has been used by evil men during his, uh, all through history to subjugate and control people. But you know what Jesus said? He said, You'll know the Son. And you'll be free indeed. How many of you have enjoyed that total freedom that comes from knowing Jesus as your Lord and your Savior? From knowing these words, it is finished, applies to your sin and to your life. Say amen to that. This is what Jesus was thankful for. That a little boy was able to bless Jesus Christ, the Son of God, with five soda crackers and two sardines. He gave thanks, and his thanks fed 5,000 men besides women and children. Let me tell you, there's something for us to learn in what Jesus was thankful for. And all God's people said, Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we ask that you would challenge our hearts to be thankful For what you were thankful for. To be thankful that it does not take human reasoning to understand and to love the Savior. It doesn't take human reasoning to know your provision and your great blessing. It doesn't take our ability to understand for great miracles to be done. But Lord, we do have to believe that you finished the work one time on the cross forever. And if we'll believe in you, you'll save us forever. Lord, we ask that you would help us to be thankful in all things. Because this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning us. In your name we pray. And before we finish that prayer, we're just going to have the piano play. If you need to slip out of your seat and spend a few moments.